You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for having me. That's, that's a great, great introduction. Appreciate the warm, the warm introduction there. You know, um, I got stuck with the Fords. If you know the Fords, it's kind of, you know, they need to work on that hospitality, you know. Uh, no, they've been wonderful. So I uh, appreciate the, all their hospitality, and it's great to be here. We spent some time in Memphis yesterday, and uh, them being from Memphis were, were great guides. Went to the Lorraine Hotel, the Civil Rights Museum, ate some good grub. So I feel like I've really been loved. So thank you guys. And just uh, enjoyed the warmth of everyone's fellowship as you came in, everyone hugging and kidding each other, and just seems like a real sweet uh, fellowship you have here. So it's a joy to be here uh, with you this morning. Halfway between... Goobertown and Marmaduke? Did I get that right? I don't know that I would have ever dreamed I would have said that sentence. But here we are. So, um, <clears throat> we got two main sessions that we'll look at this morning. After the first session, we'll give you some questions to kind of process uh, what you've heard. And um, hopefully you can do that at a table. It'd be ideal to do it with a group if you want to turn around or... Um, or just do it at the table that you're at. So we'll do uh, about 45 minutes a session and about 15 minutes of, of you know, discussion at your tables. And then we can do a Q&A and then we'll move on and repeat with the second session. Make sense? Um, we'll probably want to take a break somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we already got a heads up from this guy what kind of break he wants to take. So, You don't call one, I'm taking There you go, there you go. Um... Yeah, so maybe after that first session, we'll do a, a break. Um, sound good? All right. Well, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your profound love for us that would draw us to Christ and, and draw us here this morning that others might be drawn to Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, we confess that we often feel inadequate when it comes to this. We want people to know Jesus, but we struggle to, to, to share His good news. And uh, so I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would, you would help, uh, that You would address real concerns, um, that You would address real heart uh, obstacles that we have, and uh, that You, Holy Spirit, would pour out power and, and fresh faith and joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ that would make us want to share in a more winsome way, and we pray, Holy Spirit, in a more effective way, that uh, people, uh, friends, uh, family members, neighbors, uh, would repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and come to know Him and Your remarkable love for us. So um, help us to that end. We know that's Your desire and that that would glorify You. And so we're here as Your children, gathered around You, uh, your word, asking for help, help for your glory, help for the city, uh, and so offer it, uh, helper, Holy Spirit, give us the help that we need, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. In a recent survey, there was a, uh, 
a study done on evangelism uh, among Christians, and uh, a stat came out that half of millennials say that they don't really believe in evangelism anymore. I'll give you the quote. Um, It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. That's 50% of millennials. Now, you know, millennials get thrown under the bus for everything, uh, so we don't want to beat them up. But that's a recent, very recent survey um, that half would say um, that we shouldn't really be evangelizing. I wonder if you have some, some concerns when it comes to the topic of evangelism. Like what, when you think about sharing the gospel with a neighbor or a friend or a family member, a coworker, um, what concerns come to mind? You know, in the moment of evangelistic opportunity, uh, you kind of sense perhaps uh, a, maybe a prompting of the Holy Spirit, an opening in a conversation, and then you kind of you stop short. And, and you don't turn the conversation towards Christ or you don't talk about uh, the, the gospel. Well, what is it that, that holds you back in those moments? I think these millennials have really good reasons why they don't share the gospel and why they feel the way they do. And perhaps uh, we have uh, maybe some similar reasons, maybe different reasons why we don't actually share the gospel of Jesus. I'd like us to think about maybe two approaches to evangelism that um, contribute to this, that make it difficult. Uh, two approaches, three concerns okay, that hopefully will resonate with some of your concerns and you'll be able to talk about your concerns at the table afterwards. So two approaches to evangelism that make evangelism unbelievable, make it difficult, Right? Uh, three concerns that we might have in the act of evangelism that cause us to quiet down, and then one solution. Okay, so two approaches, three concerns, one solution. Okay, um, first approach is the aggressive approach. Aggressive evangelism. Okay, in aggressive evangelism, people are a project to be completed not a person to be loved. They're a project to be completed. Check off the box. I did it. Instead of a person to be loved. And in aggressive evangelism, there is this kind of strange kind of pressure that we feel. We feel this, this pressure to say something, to squeeze Jesus or church <laughs> into a conversation. And, uh, and this kind of creates this you know, aggressive uh, awkward experience both for the person sharing about Jesus and the person listening. The pressure goes in two ways. Uh, first, think about the pressure on us. I remember in my 20s, uh, I had done a lot of evangelism training and uh, I was at a Barnes & Noble with a friend of mine and we, we were walking around just checking out books at the Barnes & Noble and they had these, you know, four really comfortable chairs that were right in the center. So everyone kind of just hovers around them, waits till one's open, you know. And we saw two open, but they weren't right next to each other. There was a guy in between. And so he leans over to me and he said, well, you know, why don't we take those open seats and you share the gospel with me? And then he can hear the gospel. And well, that's a good idea, right? And so I did it. And I like feeling the pressure. So we sat down and like, I shared the gospel with him as if he wasn't a Christian so that the non-Christian who was just trying to read a book you know, heard me try to convert him. I mean, pressure makes us do weird things, right? 
there's this, this weird kind of evangelistic pressure that kind of is in the air sometimes. And uh, it's like the, the, the clouds build and uh, you, you feel it, you have a moment, an opportunity. And if you don't, you know, lightning will strike and travel down your spine and you'll be filled with guilt for not sharing the gospel. Uh, that's that's the, the negative side there of, of pressure evangelism. And when we do that, we, we often transfer that pressure onto other people uh, in our groups. Uh, the way we evaluate one another as disciples of Jesus. And that pressure also moves beyond the church onto other people. Um, <clears throat> the pressure can be on us, but it kind of distorts us and then moves out onto others. My wife, when she was in college, she did uh, Evangelism Explosion. In Evangelism Explosion, you memorize an outline. And uh, then you go with your trainer door to door and you, and you ask them these questions, these Kennedy questions. You know, if you died tonight and you stood before God and you said, why should I let, me, let you into my heaven, what would you say? So she, she, and then there's all these like counterpoints that you memorize, you know, if they say this, you know, you can respond this way. So you, you have this script that you're kind of working from that you've memorized and uh, you're door to door kind of working through that script. And uh, it's interesting in, in this particular approach, I mean, people often feel pressured when you're knocking on their door asking them these kind of questions. It's a bit... Uh, I, I remember her doing it, just feeling tons of pressure to nail it, you know, to, to not forget a sentence. And there was this awkward pressure, and then very rarely, I mean, occasionally they would get a response, uh, but very rarely they, they, they get a response. People were disinterested. It was awkward. It was weird. It was, and it was well-intended, but it was, it was the pressure moving from them onto the non-Christian that they wanted to get this wonderful news to, uh, and yet it created this kind of pressurized uh, environment. Incidentally, if you think about those those two questions, if you died tonight and you stood before God and He asked, "Why shall I let you into my heaven?" What would you say? Th- that approach to event, that particular question, actually, uh, I think is misfounded. Because what what might be wrong with that? Well. It's as if if you get the right answer, you get heaven. As if heaven is superior to the answer. <laughs> it's subordinating Jesus to heaven. Uh, it, it, and, it, and it breeds this kind of, as we often say in the South, the fire insurance mentality. And so what, what happens is not a kind of preciousness and enamored, uh, enamored with Jesus but with a, a desire to escape the pressure of hell. <laughs> you know, who wouldn't say in a moment, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Pressure on us actually affects pressures on others, and we actually lose the gospel in the whole kind of performance. When I was uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ, we went to Santa Cruz, California, spent three months there. Uh, it was great. Got to learn how to surf, and we did beach evangelism. And so they gathered all these, all this, the staff, you know, they gathered us all up, took us out to the beach, and there's this huge, like, rope on the beach. And they said, okay, we want you guys to go find people on the beach, and then get them to do a big tug of war. And when the tug of war is over, lead them to Christ. <laughs> really? I mean, that's weird. Here's my little blue booklet. I know we just whooped you in uh, tug of war, 
but let me tell you about Jesus. You know, it's just, it's just strange and it's well intended. But it's, it's this pressure evangelism that, you know, that, that distorts us and it makes other people feel awkward. Think about a pressure sale, you know, it's, I mean, sales like, I don't you're buying a washing machine, you're buying a new TV at Best Buy, you know, maybe you're buying a car and, uh, you just don't even want to kind of talk to the salesperson. You already know the pressure's coming, right? And, uh, you know, let's say you get a salesperson that's really trying to talk you into it, you know. And you, you're not even sure you want this, and you, you just feel, you know, it just, it just feels kind of awkward, gross, you don't want to be there. Now think about if you're on the other end of evangelism that's like that. Where someone's just trying to talk you into downloading their doctrine, to join in their heaven. I mean, it's, it's not just awkward, it turns you off. <clears throat> like, it's, no one wants to be on the end of a pressure sale. And that's why relational sales is kind of you know, name the game these days because people want to be loved, not projects to be completed, right? So this aggressive approach um, makes us do crazy things and I think is uh, one reason that people don't believe the gospel is, is the method, the aggressive method. Let's think about the passive approach. Uh, people, in the passive approach, you might say to yourself, people are to be respected, you you don't want to step on other people's beliefs you don't want to be demeaning of anyone you just want to have the character of Christ and so you're kind of a passive person pastor said earlier gospel demonstration maybe you're kind of more of a demonstration not a proclamation person that would be kind of the passive approach and sometimes there's a patron saint that's kind of summoned for the passive approach Saint Francis you know, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, right? Um, now, the problem with that is if you think about <clears throat> being at work and uh, let's say you've got a cubicle or you're in an office environment and there's, you know, you're a good worker. You're a Christian. You don't steal company pens. Uh, you don't gossip about people at the cooler, water cooler. Right? You, uh, you're, you're t- you try to be supportive of other people on the team. Um, you are, you are going to be like Christ, um, you're gonna you're gonna be thoughtful and kind and gracious. Uh, you might even invite somebody to church, you know. But uh, you you are this. Uh, you're demonstrating the character of Christ. No one's ever gonna look over and see that you've not stolen a company pen. That you're a really nice person and go. There must be a holy God. I must be at odds with Him and need Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, raised from the dead, put faith in Him, be reconciled to God, and enjoy His love. They're not gonna come up with that. By looking at your your nice character of cubicle, cubicle of character, right? And passive evangelism is ineffective. It doesn't lead people to Jesus. And St. Francis never said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. In fact, he was an avid gospel preacher. You know, sometimes we say, you know, well, I just want to show people the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, I just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, people can look at the hands and feet of Jesus all day and they'll never get to look at Jesus in the face. And Corinthians tells us that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus. You want the knowledge of God? You want to know why you exist for His glory? Got to look at the face. The hands and feet aren't enough. There's got to be a personal encounter with Jesus. And it comes by hearing the gospel. 
And friends, we, we have this, this knowledge. We know this glory. We know this person. Jesus isn't just an idea to debate. He's a person to know, to love, to worship, to adore. So passive evangelism falls short. It's good to have the character of Christ, but it's not enough for people to know the person of Christ. One of the verses we use often in evangelism, Romans 10, that faith comes by hearing, not watching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is good news. It is a word. It is something that is spoken. And so passive evangelism also falls short uh, in leading people to Jesus. It's interesting in this verse, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's as if the word, it's as if the word itself could save someone. It's as if the word is a person. Uh, that it, that it could open the ear. I think of uh, in Acts that uh, how does it, how does a dropping a Paul God opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul. It was a spoken word, and her heart opened like a flower. It wasn't the great character of Paul; it was the words of Paul, and, and but the words themselves somehow opened opened the heart. Colossians 4 says this, Pray for us that the word may open a door to us. It's as if the word itself is powerful enough to open the door of an unregenerate heart. To look at the face of Jesus. And that should be encouraging to us. That should relieve pressure. It's not on you and me to open the door. It's not you. We don't have to say the words exactly right. We just have the, the words of the gospel. God uses the words of the gospel. And the words of the gospel are powerful and effective. They have residential power. And the Holy Spirit works with that word to open hearts. So the pressure's off, guys. Like it's not on us to save Paragold. It's on Jesus. And it was on him so heavy he died and rose again from the dead to secure people from Paragold forever. So the pressure's off. Because the pressure was on Jesus. That's good news for us. Aggressive, passive, awkward. We can be free. It's good news for others. The gospel is not just good news, not just good ideas, but a good person, a glorious person. And perhaps we've become unbelievable in our evangelism because of our approach. Where are you this morning? Passive, aggressive. Uh, maybe you're like me. I've had kind of schizophrenic. I've had both, you know. I've fled around. But where, where are you in this season of your life as you think about sharing this news that we call good? Maybe we're unbelievable because we're passive or aggressive. Now let's say that you're in that spot where you have an opportunity to talk to a neighbor, to talk to a coworker, and you're in a moment of evangelistic opportunity. Uh, you can turn the corner to think, talk about the most important realities of the universe, the the greatest message any human could ever hear. 
you, you, you sense that this is an opportunity with your friend, your neighbor. And you have a concern. What would your concern be? I think there are a lot of good reasons, a lot of good concerns that we have that keep us from sharing about Jesus in that moment of evangelistic opportunity. We might quiet down because we don't want to be misperceived. Um, we don't want to be seen as preachy, right? Uh, we don't want to be seen as, uh, uh, as um, impersonal, <coughs> intolerant of other people's beliefs. Uh, we don't want to, maybe we're concerned that we won't have the right answers. You know, if they're particularly smart or, you know, apologetic, you know, don't have the, all, the, all the training. What do I say if they ask me about Buddha, you know? Um, so you don't want to be uh, uninformed. You don't want to be shallow. You know, there's these, these reasons. What are your reasons? You might even jot them down right now as you think about what are the concerns that you have that in the moment of evangelistic opportunity um, actually keep you from talking about Jesus. Let's take the, uh, the pushy concern. I don't want to be pushy. I think of, uh, I was in a Starbucks uh, in Austin and uh, was working on a sermon and a gentleman came in and very boisterous guy, like everybody knew he was there, you know, just very gregarious kind of guy, sat down behind me and he said, hey, what are you doing? Well, it's a great opportunity, right? I'm working working on a sermon, right? Oh, uh, you know, I'm just working on a sermon, you know, oh, really? And this is how he responded. Don't preach to me. Don't preach to me. Like right in the Starbucks. It wasn't soft-spoken. You know, the gregarious guy. And so what would you say in that moment? Is what would you say and what should you say, right? And I said, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Kept working on my sermon. What? His perception of the gospel, Christianity, was it was preachy, right? That it was self-righteous. And there I was, I left him stranded in the self-righteous view of Christianity. When what he needed in that moment was to hear Christ's righteousness is what he needed, right? And I left him stranded because I didn't want to be perceived as preachy. It's a good concern. Yeah, it's not about you being good enough. It's not about you being righteous enough. You don't have to impress God. Jesus impressed God for you. But I didn't get to that part, did I? I had an evangelistic concern that was very valid. But it paralyzed me in the moment of evangelistic opportunity. Think of the people on uh, college campuses, you know, the free speech area, stand up on a literal soapbox. And uh, University of North Texas, where I went, met my wife. Uh, they'd stand up and they'd yell hellfire and brimstone. You know, people stop to make fun of them. Uh, very often they stop to, to hear the good news or actually hear the good news. The, the pushy, you know, evangelist. And maybe that's your concern. You don't want to be perceived as, as pushy or as self-righteous. And well, amen, where Jesus, Jesus is communicating a righteousness other than the righteousness of ourselves. My brother went to the Tenderloin District of, of San Francisco and he was on a mission trip. Um, that's an area that's, you know, filled with drugs and crime and um, prostitution. And so they were there for a couple weeks on a mission trip. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were prayed up and they were 
going door to door and they were sharing the gospel with all kinds of people and asking if they could pray for people on the spot. And then he had a guy walk by and uh, this guy walked by and said, hey man, you're going to pray for us? No, I'm going to pray for you. He kind of took my brother off guard. He's like, you need me to pray for you? And uh, he said, well, yeah, you can pray for me. And um, he said, as, as this guy began to pray for him, it hit him um, that, that it was easy for him to evangelize people he perceived that were lower than him, but harder to evangelize people that he thought were higher than him. And it was as if this guy picked up on it. He's like, you're not going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you. I wonder, I wonder if that's one of our concerns, it, you know, that really uh, we, we evangelize when it's socially easy, not socially hard. And, uh, and, and we do it to avoid the tension and the difficulty. You know, because when we esteem someone, we, we, their social standing or maybe they seem to be wiser, smarter, uh, maybe it's a family member. You know, there's some kind of standing there. Maybe it's a, a mother or a grandfather. Um, it can be really hard, right? And perhaps, perhaps uh, we lack boldness because we think they're in some way above us. And as, as I've thought about this and talked to people about this over the years, it reminded me of Acts 23 when Paul was on trial. Um, he was in Rome and he was being tried. And... Uh, the, Jew, the Roman tribunal had brought him on trial, and then the the, Jew, the, the council, the Sanhedrin, and the Jews were trying him. And uh, it's Acts 23, if you, if you want to look at it, Acts Just pick up in verse 1 and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I live my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And then the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Why would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul, Paul's in a relationship here with someone that's higher than him. Um, he doesn't know it at first. He gets struck, and, uh, and, he, and then he shows deference. He, he honors the high priest, right? So as you think about that family member that you're intimidated by or that person that, you know, perhaps they seem to be more knowledgeable, you know, or wiser in life, I think there's room to, to just show deference, you know, to, to honor that, you know, to, to, to honor the relationship, to recognize uh, that they um, maybe they have more experience, you know, you, you might even say as you're talking, I know you might have had more experience or you've been to church a lot or, you know, I know you've wrestled through these things, but, but Paul doesn't stay in this place of deference to people that have higher social standing. 
Um, he, he, he recognizes uh, the high priest's place. He chooses to honor them. But then verse 6, he goes on to talk about the resurrection. And then verse 11, we're told he's going to talk uh, more about Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> particularly, he brings up the resurrection. It's a, there's a debate that ensues between Sadducees and Pharisees. Probably that some of that's strategic and then some of it's true. He's, he's representing the risen Christ. But in his deference to people who he perceives as higher, he doesn't um, quiet down on the resurrection. He, he still talks about, about Jesus. So you can honor people in your life. You can honor people that, that might have more experience or wisdom or you know, uh, have raised you. Um, but honor most of all, as Paul does, the one who saved you, the one who's worthy of all esteem. The one who made your husband, your husband, your your father, your mother, your boss, uh, who holds their atoms together. Uh, let's make sure that we, yes, we can honor people in our lives, but honor the one that's that's deserving of the most honor, the most, <laughs> right? Uh, the one who conquered sin, death, and hell through his own death and resurrection, and is making all things new. Let's honor honor Jesus. I think in that moment we need to stand on. Not what others think of us, but what Christ thinks of us. And, in, in, and when we do that, when we settle into the love of God, when we settle into the righteousness of Christ, we're enjoying our union with Jesus, we're much more likely to not just honor people, but to, to honor Christ and to talk about the uniqueness of Jesus and what he's done for us. Perhaps that's what we need to do a little bit more as we think about that particular concern, is to, to settle into what Christ thinks of us. Um, let's think about another, you know, objection or concern. We don't want to be shallow. Um, we don't want to come across as though we, you know, maybe, maybe someone's life is filled with suffering. And you know that they need the hope of the gospel. But you feel like if you bring it up, it would come across as trite. You know, maybe they have cancer. Maybe they're struggling with this depression or despair. And so they just kind of say, well, you know, just... Just turn to Jesus would seem a little bit shallow. Yeah, turn to Jesus, but like it's like that's true. But they they need what about Jesus? They they need something something more. It reminds me of um, of a conversation I had with a guy named Reed. Reed, I, I got a call on a Saturday morning, and uh, someone said uh, we need you to visit this guy. Um, Turns out he had passed out on Congress. It's the main street in Austin. He had, you know, drugs and alcohol. He was naked and uh, just, I mean, just a wreck of a life. Now he was in a rehab facility. And so so on my Saturday, I was going to go visit him. So uh, honestly, I reluctantly got in the car. And um, I wanted to hang out with my family that day. And uh, got to the rehab facility, walked up. There's an armed officer at the at the gates and said, um, you know, empty your pockets. I was like, oh, cell phone, everything. So I walked back to the car, put everything in the car. The gravity of the moment starts to settle in on me. Uh, walk in, see an advocate video, and then walk out. It's a hot Texas summer day. And uh, there's that, like, um, cement furniture, you know, like uh, cement tables, cement chairs. They're kind of cracked and broken. And there's smoke just hanging in the air out, out in the back porch. And... Uh, sit down with Reed and um, uh, look across the table from him. He's, he's bloated. Uh, his hair's like half-colored. 
it looks, uh, it looks awful, you know. Um, and I just sit down with him and I say, uh, Reed, tell me, tell me um, how you got here. Imagine this isn't what you dreamed of when you were a kid. You know, so how did you end up here? And uh, he begins to tell his story of, uh, as a child, you know, um, experiencing a lot of rejection from friends, um, struggling to feel like he had a place uh, at school and at home. And so there were some friends that uh, used drugs that invited him to kind of be a part of their group. And, and, but uh, he started using drugs to be part of the group. And, uh, but then he realized, you know, this, this wasn't really working, so he decided that, you know, that, that wanted to get out of drugs. You know, kind of just the whole pressure there. And uh, then he had to start using more aggressive drugs to deal with the rejection from the drug people who were, thought he was his friend. Just a, just a, a, a real sad um, history. So he's just pouring out his life of suffering, his life of brokenness, you know. And what would you say to him, you know, after you heard that story? You would say, well, just trust Jesus. I mean, that's true. Trust Jesus. He forgives you, you know. He, he changes you. I mean, it would seem kind of shallow, right? Just say, man, hey, good news. You trust Jesus, your life's going to be better. Well, what, 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 what are you promising there? You know, what kind of better? And uh, I, I was looking at him, I was just thinking, man, how, how do I make the gospel believable this guy? I don't want to be shallow, you know? Deeply broken people need to know, yeah, the gospel information, but they need to know how the gospel is life-changing, and so I just, I, I listened to him and, and I thought and I prayed and I asked the Holy Spirit to bring things to mind. And um, I tried to kind of find the longings as he talked about rejection. And uh, he, he looked just so broken apart, so dehumanized, so um, like an old man and a young man's body. He was 20, in his 20s, but he looked like much older, you know. And, and I began to think and pray, and uh, I mean, I'll just kind of get ahead of myself. I'm just going to complete this story later, but it just hit me that this is an old, an old man in a young man's body, you know, like, and that, that he needed to be a new man, <laughs> that he needed a, a new life. And so I, I said, I sympathized, of course, with him in all of this, and I said, uh, Reed, would you like a new life? And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> I'd like a new life, you know. I was like, if you, if you turn and put your faith in Jesus, he will make you a new creation. There's a, there's a verse that says, the old man is gone and a new man has come. That you can become a new creature, a new man in Christ. Would you like that? Well, I'm kind of an atheist and I don't have a Bible. I can get you a Bible. <laughs> And that began our exploration of what it might look like for him to become a new man. Uh, three years later, he stood up in front of our church. Uh, he was thinned out. His hair was one color. And he kicked the doors off of his addiction and told everyone that he put his faith in Jesus and become a new creation. We need to listen to people's stories. What, what gospel do they need to hear? And we'll talk about this more in the next session. Not just the information of the gospel, but the, what does the gospel offer the suffering, the broken, the despairing?
You know, we, we, we have these concerns. They're really good, valid concerns, and there are a lot of great answers for them. And in the moment of evangelist opportunity, we forget the new creation power of the gospel when we're talking to someone who we don't want to come across as shallow. Um, we'll just... Uh, I'll skip this other, other concern and... Um, short on time here and uh, move to one solution so there's all kinds of concerns right don't want to be pushy don't want to be self-righteous don't want to be shallow don't want to be uninformed you know um, and they're really good concerns um, but and, and we need to think about those concerns we need to, to sort through them and we need to talk freely about them and we need to gather wisdom in these conversations with people so we're not just kind of name dropping Jesus but often there's a concern underneath the concern or if I could put it a little more negatively, there's a defeater underneath the defeater. Uh, that we, not Jesus, that we would be misperceived. That people might think something ill of us, not ill of Jesus. That we might not have high regard uh, and less concern that people have high regard for Jesus. You know, we often love the opinions of others more than we rest in the opinion of God the Father. And in Proverbs 29, it says, The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. Could it be possible that underneath these valid concerns, there is a deeper concern? A fear of what people think of us. A fear of their opinions. A fear of how they might perceive us. And Proverbs is telling us, the fear of man lays a snare, it's a trap, you get your foot caught in it. But it also is affirming this idea to be safe. The one who trusts in the Lord is safe. Everybody wants relational security, everybody wants safety, everyone wants to be loved, right? Everyone wants to feel accepted. And the good news of the gospel is that you're already safe in Jesus. You're already accepted in Jesus. And if that's true, then you can tell them about Jesus. Right? The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts the Lord is safe. And perhaps what needs to happen is that we need to believe the gospel. In our gospeling, <laughs> we need to evangelize ourselves as we evangelize others. We need to enjoy the Father's love as we invite others to enjoy the Father's love. We need to cling to the righteousness of Christ as we invite preachy guy to enjoy the righteousness of Christ. The more that we settle into our union with Christ, the more that we enjoy all that God for us, is for us in Jesus, the more likely we are able to, to talk about it. We talk about the things we're taken with. If you, if you love the game you saw last night, if you finished a book that you thought was great, if you saw a movie, Academy's words coming up, and you love it, what do you think to yourself? I could not tell anybody about this. That would be just so intrusive. You know, I should not talk about that game. You know, No, we talk about what we're taken with, right? Well, if we're taken with Jesus, if we're enjoying His righteousness, His grace, His presence, the Father's love, we'll talk about it. We talk about what we're taken with. And so perhaps underneath all these really valid concerns, there is a defeater underneath the defeater. The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. Maybe we just need to enjoy the safety of our approval uh, from the Father.
Maybe we've forgotten the gospel in all our methods and just need to remember the gospel and be less concerned with the methods. Maybe we just need to be re-evangelized with the gospel. Maybe this is why we're, we're often unbelievable. I'm going to pray in a minute, but I want to encourage you as you think about this to turn to people at your table and uh, to process, you know, what, what are some of your concerns? Um, are there people in your life right now that you, you know, you're slow to share the gospel with because of some concerns? Try to get some wisdom, you know. Is there some wisdom? And how do you manage that concern? And then, you know, what about the defeater? And is that something that you encounter that a defeater? Maybe it's a different thing. Maybe it's comfort. You're just comfortable. It's not fear of man. It's like, I love my couch. I love my TV. I couldn't be bothered. Uh, how, how would you address that with the gospel? Um, so let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll turn to that. Father, we thank you for, uh, <laughs> Lord, we thank you for even when we're, we fear others more than you, when we love others' opinions more than you, that you don't give up. You don't walk away and say, I've had it with this relationship. No, you keep loving us. You keep delighting us and you keep drawing us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would minister to us now as we think about our concerns, that we'd be really honest and that your grace and your wisdom would get into these conversations and into our hearts and minds and would really change so we're not awkward and pressure, but we're, we're delighting in who we are in Christ and inviting others into that. And so uh, bless these conversations now in Jesus' name. Amen.